Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Michael Carroll will join us to discuss envisioning exoplanets. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, in the past, the search for exoplanets was something of science fiction, but now exoplanets abound. Joining us today to discuss how to envision some of these exoplanets is Mr. Michael Carroll. Mr. Carroll is an award-winning space artist and science writer with over 30 books in print, recipient of the AAS Department of Planetary Sciences Jonathan Eberhardt Award for Best Planetary Science Article of the Year. He's also a member of the NASA Arts Program and the recipient of the Lucien Rideau Award for Lifetime Achievement in the Astronomical arts. He has put together the new book, Envisioning Exoplanets, Searching for Life in the Galaxy. Mr. Carroll, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. It is great to be here. I love your show. Oh, well, thank you for saying. Uh, I love your new book, Envisioning Exoplanets. Beautiful book, great illustrations. You decided to put this book together. Well, you know, we live in an exciting time. Not only are we discovering planets around other stars, which was unheard of a decade ago, but we are finding out something about their natures. And so the study of exoplanets is very exciting and fluid. Plus, they have inspired some of the most beautiful space art around. So we wanted to showcase those visions while offering up-to-date news on the strange and, and really wonderful worlds out there. Well, the book really is that. It's an illustrated compendium of the history of exoplanet research. Yeah, it gives us some appreciation of how far we've come. If we look back, people were writing in the scientific journals that there might be a certain number of exoplanets out there, but we would never know because we could never see them. And now we are finding new ones every week. So it's just the progression of technology and, and the understanding of the nature of light and all these things have come together through the long process of scientific history to help us get where we are today and start finding these worlds. How are we discovering all these planets? Well, um, there are a bunch of techniques. The one that's most successful right now is uh, called the transiting technique. And what that means is that all you do is you look at the light level of a star. Most stars that we see, almost all stars that we see in telescopes, are just points of light. No matter how big the telescope is, it can't see a disk. It just has to look at the point of light coming back. But if that light dims in a certain way, we know that something is crossing in front of it. And if we watch long enough, we can see a pattern of those dimming events, and that tells us how far the planet is from its parent star, roughly how much it weighs, which may help with uh, how big it is. So 
this is one technique. There are other techniques that use light as well. So people have had to get pretty creative to find these planets hiding in the shadows out there. We can't see the planets themselves. All we can see is their fingerprints that they leave behind. Is there a size limit to what we can detect for these exoplanets? Well, yeah. I mean, the smallest thing they have found is something just a little smaller than Earth. You know, beyond that, at least at the current technology, it's pretty tough to to tease out the signal. But there are more advanced observatories uh, on the books and in the assembly line. So we'll... um, We will know more. You have to uh, stay tuned. So that tells us that a planet's there, you know, looking at this transiting. How do we have an idea of what these planets might be like? Well, there is a lot of guesswork. But occasionally, we can actually get the spectrum from either the planet itself or its atmosphere. Usually it's the atmosphere. And what you do is you look at the spectrum of the star before the planet goes by. Then you look at the spectrum with the planet in front of it. And that difference, you subtract and you end up with the spectrum of of atmosphere around the planet. So we're able to tell what kind of air these things have. We're able to tell, in many cases, what their nature is like just by how big they are. For example, we're finding a lot of Jupiter-sized planets out there, but very different from the Jupiter we know. There are hot Jupiters that orbit as close to their star as Mercury is to the Sun, or even closer. There are cold, giant Jupiters. There are things called sub-Neptunes or super-Earths that we have never seen before up close. Planets somewhere in between uh, Neptune and Earth in size. So there's a whole menagerie out there that we're finding. Does this tell us about our own solar system in any way? Do our planets look special or are they just sort of run of the mill? Well, it tells us a lot about our solar system. Um, We thought for a long time that all that if we found other solar systems, there would be gas giants out in the cold and terrestrial rocky planets down by the sun like ours is. But it turns out that that's not the way it is at all in most solar systems. They're all jumbled up, mixed bags of where you have big and small planets. And we have found solar systems where, for example, the Trappist system has seven Earth-sized planets in it. It's a very small star, a red dwarf, and it's got these seven planets going around it. A couple of them are at just the right distance for liquid water. It's what we call the habitable zone or the Goldilocks zone. So finding lots of planets out there that may be roughly Earth-sized and may be just the right distance from their star to have at least conditions that might allow life to take hold there. Do you envision that there are any possibility for being able to detect life on these exoplanets? Yes. Um, one thing that NASA and the European Space Agency both are working on is 
how biology changes environments. So what you can do is look for traces in the atmospheres, in the biomes or the environments of planets, traces that will show you that biology has essentially contaminated the natural norm, uh, shifted things. The Earth used to not have any oxygen. Oxygen is here because of life. So oxygen in many cases, might be an indicator of uh, active biology. Are those types of searches in progress, or are they ongoing, or are they beginning? Uh, they are beginning. We're just beginning to understand the nature of life, really. <laughs> um, we're kind of, uh, you know, new kids on the block in terms of biology, and so we have one example of life is here, and uh, we would love to see how life operates in other places. But to do that, we've got to find it first. So some of these studies taking place are going to help us to uh, do that. And some of the remote sensing through ground-based telescopes and through some telescopes orbiting are attempting to look for those kinds of fingerprints of life out there. The book itself is an illustrated compendium of the sort of search for exoplanets, amazing illustrations. Did you have a framework in mind for when you were putting these illustrations together? Yeah, um, some of the illustrations that we chose uh, just are showing general concepts, but many of them are showing specific planets and what science tells us. So the space artist uh, takes as much science as is available and is constrained by that science, but then uses imagination and and the rules of landscape, which uh, are the same here and on Pluto and, you know, anywhere else in the galaxy. And you combine that to come up with uh, hopefully a beautiful and inspiring painting that also educates and, and uh, shows some of these these amazing worlds out there. It's hard to envision some of these places. One of the paintings I did is of 55 Cancri E, which is a planet that is rocky, but it's so hot that the uh, surface is at the vapor point of basalt. So the air on this planet is made of the rock. Uh, and it has floating clouds of sapphires. And uh, so I uh, I actually got in touch with one of the scientists who has been researching this planet to get some insight into what she thought things might look like there, Carolyn Dorn in, in uh, Germany. And so the scientists are very, very helpful to the, the astronomical artists. There's a great relationship there back and forth with some of these scientists, preliminary drawings and saying, does this look right in what you envision? Absolutely, because uh, the scientists value the art because it speaks to the general population who may not necessarily know the science well, but they can begin to understand with the visual 
And so there uh, often is back and forth. And in fact, to do the book, I visited NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, where they're doing a lot of exoplanet research. And Alyssa Quintana, who wrote the foreword, uh, was amazing. She toured me around the place for three days, and I talked to a lot of researchers and did a lot of sketching as well as note-taking. So, yeah, there there is a good relationship between the folks uh, doing the research and the engineering, along with those of us who paint. In learning about these exoplanets, did you develop a, a fondness for any uh, particular one of them? Oh, well, I have, yeah, I have a lot of favorite illustrations uh, by other people. Jet McIntyre did a painting of this hot Jupiter streaming this big tail, comet-like tail of atmosphere away. Mark Garlick did a painting of Gliese 667, which is a triple star system that has planets orbiting one of the stars, a red dwarf there. There are so many other favorites by many of uh, the artists in this book. I think we have 17 different artists. I think my favorites tend to be the ones that were the most difficult for me to do. So a couple of them were the eyeball planets, these planets that are uh, locked with one face toward their star. So if you have an Earth-like eyeball planet, you're going to have conditions that are very different on the day side from the night side. And uh, those were fun to do. I mean, many of these worlds just sound, my guess, completely alien. <laughs> are there any that have just sort of surprised uh, scientists that you've come across saying uh, they never would have thought that a planet like this could be out there? Yeah, I think the first ones to give people that reaction were these hot Jupiters. Nobody thought that you could take a, a cold, fluffy planet like Jupiter and stick it a third of the distance from the orbit of Mercury to its star. This is a very, very alien world. There are other really fun, creepy planets that uh, orbit close to pulsars. So they've got undoubtedly strange and spectacular aurora in the sky. Uh, there's a a planet that is darker than charcoal, but it's the size of Jupiter. What does that look like? What What's up with that? You know, that's uh, probably the darkest object in the, in the galaxy. And what is causing that? Nobody knows, but that's, uh, it's inspiring to, to try to figure these things out. What are the future directions for exoplanet research? Where is it heading? What are the frontiers that people are coming across in terms of investigating these exoplanets? Yeah, you know, um, bigger is better, I think. Uh, what's uh, on the horizon is building larger or more capable orbiting space telescopes that can actually resolve some of these planets look at some of the surface features, get spectrum from the surfaces as well as the atmosphere. And so there are some that are coming online fairly soon. Uh, NASA's TESS, Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, is doing some great work now, as is the European Space Agency's KEOPS, which uh, measures planetary mass. James Webb Telescope is coming up. Uh, which is a huge observatory 
And then there are even bigger ones uh, kind of in the blueprint stage. So stay tuned. We're going to be finding some amazing things out there. We were just talking with Michael Carroll about his new book, Envisioning Exoplanets, Searching for Life in the Galaxy. Mr. Carroll, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It was fun. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.